Our scripture text for today's sermon comes from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and minds to hear your Word. May it transform our lives. Lord, by your Spirit, may we be empowered and inspired to continue Jesus' ministry of bringing heaven to earth. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. For those of us that grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, this passage has inspired lots of curiosity about the afterlife. Uh, you see, in verse 2 in the King James, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. We get excited about mansions. We love the idea of mansions. We've written all kinds of songs about mansions. Uh, I grew up in church, and maybe you did too, singing songs like, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. We get so enthusiastic about our heavenly mansion. Uh, for me, when I first heard these words, I was a child. Uh, I, would, uh, I loved the Beverly Hillbillies. So I would be at home and I would watch the Beverly Hillbillies on TV and I would, I would see the Clampett Mansion. And I would go to church and I would hear about having a mansion in glory. And naturally, I put the two together. Uh, for me, heaven looked a whole lot like Beverly Hills uh, with big mansions and the, the swimming pool out back that they called the cement pond, the billiards room and, or fancy eating room, and the, that, that curved staircase in the entranceway. All of that to me looked like heaven because church told me that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion. We do get excited about mansions, don't we? I can't tell you how angry people were when the revised standard version of the Bible came out. Because in that version, the translators, and I hate to tell you more accurately translated, verse 2 to say, In my Father's house are many rooms. 
Well, people were out, out, they were just irate. They couldn't believe it. People were furious with the translators that, that, they, were, uh, that they were taking away our mansion. Uh, it felt like a baited switch. The preacher for all these years had been promising that if we live right, if we do the right things, if we pray the right prayers, if we follow Jesus, we're getting a mansion. And now this translation reduces that to a bedroom? We don't even know if it comes with a private bath or if you even need bathrooms in heaven. But people were irate at even the thought that maybe it's not a mansion that we're inheriting. They're really angry. Uh, I have to wonder if our anger doesn't say more about us than it does about the translation. It really kind of reveals our selfishness. We really want that mansion, don't we? We obsess about it sometimes. Uh, but I've been thinking, isn't a bedroom in the Father's house better than a mansion in God's neighborhood? Isn't it better to be closer to God's presence than down the road a piece? Yeah, I really think that our obsession with uh, our obsession with matchings has caused us to miss the point. I think we've missed the point of what Jesus was really trying to say to us in this passage. Uh, we get really excited about getting to heaven, about getting to our mansion. We get overexcited about getting off the planet. You've heard me before call it evacuation theology, where like the whole purpose of our being Christian is to leave the place. But I think Jesus is talking about much more. And when we focus on the mansion, I'm afraid we miss Jesus' real point in the message. Now, to be sure, he does promise that he's preparing a place for us. He starts out, it's, it is Jesus who says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he starts off the conversation by saying, don't worry about it. Don't let your hearts be troubled about it. Don't be too concerned about, uh, don't be too concerned about where you're going to be living. I have it covered. So naturally, when Jesus told us not to worry about it, we've spent 2,000 years worrying about it. We've built entire theologies around the idea of what happens when we get to heaven, when Jesus was more interested in this passage on how we live here. Don't worry about it. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go and take care of heaven. And then he proceeds to tell them, y'all know how to get there. He said, I'm going ahead to get things ready, and y'all know how to follow me. I'm so grateful for Thomas. Uh, he gets a lot of grief for doubting later on, but I'm, I'm grateful that Thomas had the courage to ask the question because I want to know the answer. Jesus assumes that the disciples, he assumes that we know how to get to heaven. And Thomas is the one that's brave enough to speak up and say, I don't know about that. I, I don't know how we get there. Tell us, Jesus, what is the way? Jesus answers. He answers Thomas, and he answers that question for all of us. He says, I am the way. Now I think we're beginning to get to the heart of Jesus' message. He's, uh, and I want to point out too that Thomas uh, was more interested in how to get there than he was what it would be like when he got there. Thomas was more interested in following Jesus now than worrying about where he was going to be living in the next life. I want to be that way too. I want to be focused on what I can do for Jesus now, in this life, in the here and now. So Jesus says, I am the way. 
we can also read that as I'm the road map. Uh, the way is a street or a road. Jesus literally says, I am the road map into the next life. You follow me, you, you do the things that I do. And Jesus tells us what those things are. In fact, when he starts his ministry, uh, his very first sermon, he quotes the prophet with these words. Quote the prophet Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was Jesus' roadmap. His roadmap was to come into a world that was torn apart by sickness, by poverty, by oppression, a world where the few that had great power used it as a burden on those that were put down. And he said, I've come to fix all that, to bring help to those that are sick, to, to bring liberty to the captives, to bring freedom to the oppressed, to bring help to those that are sick. Jesus laid out his roadmap at the beginning of his ministry, and if you follow through the Gospels, that's exactly what he did. Everywhere he went, he lived into that vision. Well, if, and then Jesus says to us that he's the way, he's our way. If that was his roadmap, then it should be ours as well. You know, our, our calling as Christians is not just to sit around and sing songs about mansions, but to get our hands dirty doing the work of our Lord, doing the work that Jesus did. We look around us and we still see signs of oppression. We have been flooded this week with the story of, a, of an African-American gentleman who was gunned down while out for a jog, a jog very similar to the one I took yesterday morning. Gunned down. Oppression is still a problem in 2020 in this country. Christ followers that are following his roadmap, if we're really following him, we are going to work to liberate the oppressed, to, to empower them. We're living in a time of sickness. And so many of us are anxious to get back out, to be back in the public. I want to be one of those. I want to be cheering for the Tide in Bryant-Denny Stadium this fall. I want to be able to get out into the restaurants occasionally, although my wife's cooking is proving to be so much better. I want to be active again, but Jesus calls us to live in community. If me going out is a danger to someone else, if gathering with all of us here puts someone's health at risk, we're violating the law of love. And we've gotten off the map because Jesus said that he was bringing help to those that are sick. If we call sickness, we've left the Jesus way. Jesus promised to have good news for the poor. That's going to be a, especially a calling for us as a church as we go forward. The unemployment numbers this morning were alarming and we hear they're probably going to get worse. Uh, I'm 54 years old. I, I grew up with parents that lived through the Depression and grandparents that lived through the Depression, but all I really know about it is their stories and what I've read in the history books. I can't imagine what life in the 20s must have been like. And I hope that's not where we're going. But what's happened in our culture has caused a huge crisis, and there are going to be more poor people than we've had before. It's an opportunity again for us to follow Jesus. I don't know what that'll look like yet. I don't know what all it will involve.
But if we're following this map that Jesus has laid out before us, then good news to the poor has to be a part of it. It's a tough road. Jesus, in fact, said the way to life is long and narrow. And he actually said only a few would find it, and that verse scares me more than most in the Bible. The good news is it doesn't all rely on us. Jesus continues in this message in John 14 to, uh, to say that when he leaves us, he'll send the Holy Spirit to be with us. He'll send a helper, an advocate, that will come and be with us. And because of him, we will be empowered to do all the works that Jesus did, and even greater works. I can't even imagine what that is, really. But Jesus promises us the ability. He not only calls us to follow his roadmap, he promises the ability to follow that roadmap. If we'll just ask. If we'll ask to receive the Spirit so that we might be empowered to love like Jesus and to live like Jesus. Now, I really am glad that we have a heavenly place to go. I, uh, I'm grateful that in the next life, Jesus is preparing a place for us. But while Jesus is getting heaven ready there, he's called us to be bringing heaven here. We pray it all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our calling is to bring heaven here, to our town, to our neighborhood, to our county. That's our mission. And while I'm, I'm glad that I've got somewhere to go in the next life, I hope I can spend the rest of this life working to build the kingdom here. In fact, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that if we focus on building God's kingdom here, we don't have to worry about the kingdom that's coming in the next life. And so I want to invite us to, to take action. All of this kingdom talk is no good until we do something. So I want to invite you this week to commit to doing three things to usher in the kingdom. You choose what they are. You, you spend time in prayer and study and you determine what it is that God's calling you to do. But do three things to bring in the kingdom. Maybe it's a phone call or a letter to someone who is left out in all of this time, someone who's lonely. Maybe it's your word of encouragement that's gonna bring the kingdom to this earth. Maybe you have the opportunity to give a gift to somebody that's feeding the hungry or providing for the homeless. Uh, maybe you have the ability to give a gift to our medical workers who are desperately still in need of masks. When you do that, you're building the kingdom here. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a conversation, just some, any expression of love that you can do for another person will usher in the kingdom another step, a little bit further. Will you do that with me? Can we commit to at least doing three things this week that would bring heaven to earth. I think it's a good thing to do for Jesus. If he's so busy getting our place ready there, then shouldn't we be busy getting his place ready here? We've been, we've been invited to build the kingdom. May God fill us with his spirit that we might follow the Jesus way and bring heaven to earth. Amen. Thank you.